Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is the Kingdom of Pod on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by eBay and their sneaker marketplace. Jeff Caves here in Flower Mound, Texas, where if I had a hell of a ride, you know, when my wife. Talk to me about moving to Texas, North Texas specifically, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I knew they had different weather than Idaho and California, which I'm most familiar with, but not this different. I did not know there were 120 tornadoes a year in the state of Texas. I was told that the tornadoes in Flower Mound area, which is essentially... You know, 10, 15 miles from the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport are minimal. And you would think the people who planned out and built the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport wanted to put it in the least likely spot to get hit by a tornado. So I think this would be a fairly safe place. But, you know, last night, uh, about 9.30, the thunderstorm warnings and severe hail storm warnings uh, turned to tornado warnings with sirens blazing (laughs) which is not new to some of you listening to this, but it was very new to me. It sounded like, you know, I was, I don't know, uh, in a war zone. And we quickly huddled up into the uh, the bathroom area and waited it out and take 15 or 20 minutes. And just a first-time experience with that, if you heard anything about tornado uh, warnings and threats in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it's true. And quite a unique experience and sort of a way of life here, as is hail and how it may or may not damage any vehicles that you have outside of your house. Because in my case, you can't fit a Bronco Motors a Nissan Titan pickup in a particular garage. So anyway, all is good. Uh, interesting stuff. I want to get into the stories of the day and... Boise State, of course, and Boise State football and spring practice and the announcement that there'll be fans at spring scrimmage. We'll get into that storyline and the good news it is about that. Really interesting piece then with a Boise State professor about the name, image, and likeness legislation and the NCAA antitrust exemption arguments and put it into very easy to understand terms for us all to follow along because you're going to be hearing a lot about that in about a week or so and Sam Ehrlich is way ahead of that plus some bonus thoughts on what I think about women's sports and all the brouhaha that came with the NCAA basketball tournament for women and why that didn't go well let's get back to spring ball the announcement that There could be 5,000, 6,000, whatever number of people allowed into Albertson Stadium for Boise State's annual spring scrimmage. I think it's a great first step uh, that seems like in monitoring some of these social media accounts that I do that the coaching staff and others have been encouraged to get on social media and get people out to the stadium. And it could be the biggest crowd, you know, since all of this pandemic has started or ended or somewhere in between. I don't recall many crowds in the 5,000 area being allowed to do anything. So for that reason, it's fairly significant. Uh, I think that you may get that many people at the spring scrimmage because, hey, it's, it's bigger now than just going to practice. It may be the first time in a long time that people have been able to socialize and 
get back together with their friends and family and uh, Bronco fans and all of that. So I think for that reason specifically, uh, that's really interesting for the community, uh, for Boise to take that on. I'm sure there'll be as much or more attention about that, that particular piece of it, how people are seated, will they use both sides of the stadium and spread them out, and all the attention that I think is probably worn thin on some of us by now, uh, hearing again about COVID-19 and how things are organized and basically looking at the process of something rather than the attraction, in this case, the scrimmage. And let's not get too carried away. You got a new coaching staff. You got injuries up and down that uh, too deep. And guys that can't even practice, they don't even want to risk it. They have a hellacious September schedule ahead of them. They're not going to just blow it uh, for some spring uh, scrimmage or is it a glorified practice or whatever it is, this may be the year where it doesn't matter. It's just about getting people together to see how that process feels and just remember it for some people i think for those reasons it'll be big uh, for the, the the team and the staff okay i think you can check out how certain guys may perform better with people watching them play but it's also an invitation uh, for the coaching staff and boise state's marketing people in the athletic department to outreach to their most hardest core fans jonesing to do something different than read or watch video uh, on their favorite team. So there's a lot of different angles there to hit. I think uh, that to me is as important as any, but it'd be just as nice to me if the focus was a lot more on the process on the field. But come on, it's spring ball. Uh, There's a lot of protections that these coaches are taking to not get guys hurt for the opener against Central Florida, which will start zeroing in on um i would expect stuff more uh, glorified practice like but hey if you're going to get a chance to go down on the field and maybe keep your social distance and meet some of these new assistant coaches it's a great opportunity uh it's a great thing speaking of great opportunities bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action march uh right now is a great time to look Watch all the college basketball action, and Bet Online has you covered. News, scores, odds. You can get in your bets. It's free to sign up. Just get over to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, a lot of conversation about name, image, and likeness. And also antitrust exemptions for the NCAA and how they fight for that and others are fighting against them. And of course, Boise State sort of caught up in all of this stuff. They've been involved in this conversation uh, once before when Dr. Bob Custer went and testified you know, before Congress about this stuff. And it got pretty deep for Boise State at the time, uh, the BCS being deemed unfair by not only Boise State, but many uh, non-BCS conference members. So this issue is important, and right now the NCAA uh, finds himself in the middle of a case that's going to be heard by the Supreme Court, some decisions coming out in the next week, uh, or some, excuse me, conversation, decisions within a couple of months that have massive ramifications for the name, image, and likeness legislation. Let's get a little deeper into that. 
Sam Ehrlich is an assistant professor of legal studies at the management department at Boise State, and he has been researching and focusing on the legal aspects of athlete labor and employment. He's put out several academic articles in connection with this. He has a lot of interest in getting more clarification on these antitrust laws uh, for the NCAA based on their desire or their public stance of wanting to preserve amateurism in intercollegiate athletics. Recently, Sam, uh, on his own behalf, put out what they call an amicus brief with the U.S. Supreme Court, which are very valuable and helpful uh, in the way our Supreme Court rules on things. And he put a paper together about a three-tiered circuit split, why the Supreme Court needs to take uh, some action on this Alston versus NCAA case. And he is joining us here on the Kingdom of Pod uh, to talk about all of that. And I want to just say this, Sam, a Florida State guy, a lawyer, a former, uh, you, you are probably still a current baseball guy, uh, a first-year assistant professor there at Boise State. You've done a lot in your young life so far. How are you doing? Well, I'm flattered to, you know, be called young. I mean, you know, I don't feel young all the time, but uh, no, I'm, I, I'm great. And I appreciate you having me on, Jeff. But you're trying to influence the U.S. Supreme Court's opinion on why the antitrust argument with the NCAA and athletes education based compensation uh, needs more analysis. So tell us just and remember, we're talking to Boise State football fans here. You know what your thoughts are about this case with the NCAA, because it's going to get a lot of attention here probably in the next year. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a major, in, incredibly important case for, for NCAA football, NCAA basketball, really all the NCAA sports. Uh, you know, we're coming up on, you know, we're now less than a week away from oral arguments in this case. So I think it's going to be something that's really going to be central in a lot of people's minds. And my role in this, my role uh, is, is a very small part of this case. As you said, I wrote Actually, a couple of amicus curiae briefs. Um, amicus curiae, it's Latin for friend of the court. So essentially, oh. I'm a third party. I'm, I'm stepping in here and I'm, I'm kind of giving my opinion as a third party saying, this is how I feel about this case. This is how I feel you should rule on this case. This is what I feel like you should be doing in this case and why this case is so important. And as you mentioned, I, I had written an academic article, actually as part of my dissertation at Florida State, talking about this three-tiered circuit split. And what that means for, for lay people is essentially that, really that there's a lot of confusion among the lower courts, among the courts that you know kind of report to the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. uh, are influenced by the Supreme Court as to how to actually apply this complex field of antitrust law to NCAA amateurism activities. There's some, some courts that have said, well, if you're taking money out of college athletics, if you're doing that by by creating this amateurism system, if you're taking money out, then it's non-commercial and the antitrust laws don't apply. That's one minority rule. Uh, there's another there's another courts that that has said, well, you know, because of this, you know, longstanding Supreme Court precedent, we're going to say that presumptively speaking, NCAA amateurism rules should be considered to be legal under the antitrust laws. And then you have this case, this Alston case, that's now been appealed to the Supreme Court, that the Supreme Court has now taken, that has said, we're not going to give that much deference. We're still going to require the NCAA to really justify why, why their amateurism rules, why these you know, restrictions on compensation are legal under the antitrust laws. And in this case, we actually found that they didn't, they didn't do their jobs. They didn't, they didn't justify why having restrictions on education-based compensation is something that is actually legal. So that's really what I stepped in to do here. That's 
you know, the circuit split is something the NCAA have pointed out in their own brief arguing, you know, asking the Supreme Court to take the case. I had originally stepped in as, you know, in my own brief to say, yes, there is the circuit split. Yes, there is this confusion. But I see it in a different way where I see that the case that's being appealed right now is actually the correct approach. There shouldn't mm-hmm. be any real deference to the NCAA here without congressional action, without Congress actually saying that it's okay. All right, Sam, we're going to circle this all the way back to name, image, and likeness, which Boise State mm-hmm. Athletics has already taken movement on by hiring two different companies to assist the athletes at Boise State in the future with marketing themselves so that they can go out into the competitive market and market themselves as an influencer for brands or some maybe giving gymnastics private lessons to uh, people in the Boise area or uh, a quarterback doing a camp in the summer. All of these different things may or may not be happening for Boise State in the future, but they've hired a couple of different companies to help navigate this for the athletes. And I think we'll get into the name, image, and likeness piece, but one of the things about the antitrust exemption and the NCAA's argument, Sam, that that I know you've studied and I want a synopsis from you is this whole idea of competitiveness of, of if Alabama truly, which has the largest football budget in the country, is only going to offer as much to a student athlete in compensation, whether that be education, training or whatever else, as Boise State can or will. Uh, that's a restraint of trade almost, and it's not necessarily the way uh, things could or should be. But explain that for us a little bit more from your perspective and, and bring that home. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you used the phrase restraint of trade because that's all of what the, the Sherman Act, the Sherman Antitrust Act is about. It's about prohibiting illegal, un, unreasonable restraints of trade, restraints of trade that are deemed to be, you know, inhibiting competition between different organizations, between different people, uh, inhibiting, you know, competition in economic markets. And kind of the, one of the best ways to think about this is, you know, one kind of little piece of antitrust law is that it prohibits price fixing, where if two people are up for the, or, or if you're up uh, at, for for two different jobs, for example, and mm-hmm. Both of those both of those jobs are competing over you. They both want you as a, as a person, as a college athlete, as a radio host, as a professor. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they're going to compete for your services. They're going to offer maybe a higher salary or they're going to offer better benefits. And that's exactly what antitrust law is designed to protect. It's that is exactly the economic competition competition that antitrust law is designed to protect. So the NCAA stepping in, according to the plaintiffs in this case, according to the Alston class in this case by the NCAA and the member schools stepping in and saying, well, we're not going to allow this competition. We're going to set the price at an athletic scholarship, a certain amount of money in stipends, a certain amount of money for food, all these different things. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they're fighting. They're, they're saying without this competition, without this competition, by restraining this competition, you are breaking antitrust law. Yeah. And the NCAA does not want to see that broken or they're going to get in the role of making athletes employees insurance and having to pay them and basically becoming a professional sports league. And it would, I guess, change amateurism and intercollegiate athletics forever. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sam, let, let, let's get back to, uh, and I, I don't, <laughs> I know you're a baseball guy, but I'm sure you're enough of a college football guy. If you went to Florida state and you, you, you get to get your law degree from there, is that right? Or you got your uh, master or your doc? What'd you get there? PhD? Uh, my PhD in sports management. Okay. 
All right, so you you followed football enough by now, but you know there's an argument out there for the college football playoff that the group of five schools, of which Boise State's the most prominent, don't feel at times that they are being treated fairly to get equal access to the college football playoff and play one of those top four teams for the national championship. I know that's going to come circling back, but let's leave that. Let's leave that conversation because the name, image, and likeness conversation has Idaho implications. There's 11 states in the United States that don't have any pending state name, image, and likeness legislation. We've got all kinds of other states out there, dozens of them, frankly, with bills in the works and Florida's ready to go into effect coming up like July 1. Iowa would like to do it tomorrow. Um, So the NCAA is looking to Congress. They want a federal law that would preempt all the state laws. Idaho's doing nothing. Do you have a snap read on why maybe Idaho is one of those 11 just sitting there doing nothing while everybody else is? I think, honestly, it's just not been a priority for them. I think they've been concerned with other matters. Um, and usually with with a lot of these states, and you know this isn't always true, but with a lot of these states, there are two driving forces as to why NIL legislation gets proposed. One is that you have one particular lawmaker that takes a, a special interest in it, maybe a, a college sports fan or maybe someone who has been approached by one of the universities, uh, you know, asking them to create this legislation, to draft this legislation, proposes legislation. And I think in a lot of times you look at these different states and you see that one individual lawmaker who's really leading the charge charge in that action. The other driving force here is, is actually competitive balance, is actually the idea that certain states don't want to be left in the dust. They don't want to be left behind when their conference counterparts or when their conference rivals are getting kind of similar things. In fact, uh, I remember, and I, and I love this quote, um, a Republican member of the Mississippi House of Representatives said that he didn't want this legislation. He doesn't want any of this legislation, but he doesn't want to lose a competitive edge in recruiting for Mississippi State and Ole Miss hmm. against those who are already in the Southeastern Conference, like Alabama. Alabama has probably one of the most expansive NAL, uh, NAL bills out there, even if they haven't passed it yet. Hmm. So I think that's, that's a big driving force of it as well. So I I, I don't I don't have any any inside information into uh, Boise State University's thinking on this or the Idaho legislature's thinking on this. I just don't think it's really been a priority. All right. So as you look at where this Alston suit's headed with the NCAA and the Supreme Court, and you understand that we're we're going to have legislation that allows these kids to go out and profit off of their name or their image or their likeness, whether that be through the college football video games, Sam, or like I mentioned, through giving gymnastics lessons or tennis lessons or doing a quarterback camp, it's going to happen. And it's going to be, I guess, handled by either the feds or the the states. How does the Alston case and the NIL, if it goes one way or the other, does it have an impact here on how it may sort of filter down? Oh, it has a monumental impact. It is, I think it's incredibly important for this, even if the Austin case in itself is not directly about NIL legislation. It's it's about education-based grant and aid compensation. The way it is right now, NIL is going to happen. There's there's nothing that's going to stop it. You have all these states that have passed this legislation. I think there's a lot of good arguments that the state legislation is unconstitutional and 
I think it's incredibly clear that the NCAA is going to challenge it on July one. They're going to have they're going to have a lawsuit and and a request for injunction in front of a court trying to get that that Florida bill overturned. That's going to happen. But the NCAA itself is is already making moves on AL themselves. Uh, they've been pushing the federal government to have this, as you said, this uh, preemptive legislation to kind of over you know to to really get rid of the state legislation, have one national scheme. But really, at this point, NAL, again, NAL is going to happen. It's, it's not up for debate at this point. And where Alston fits in is that all the discussion about NAL at this point is not, again, not about whether it's going to happen, but it's about these so-called guardrails, as the NCAA puts it. The NCAA wants to ensure that there are certain protections against uh, certain certain types of endorsement deals, certain types of sponsorships. That- Massage parlors. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that the schools may not necessarily want to happen. Um, the NCAA has has come out and said, you know, we're not sure we want college athletes to be partner partnering with um, casinos, with gamble, yeah, casinos yeah. with with gambling uh, gambling companies or alcohol companies or uh, all these different kind of vices. Uh, mm-hmm. They also don't want uh, college athletes to be partnering with, uh, with 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 excuse me with conflicting sponsors. Exactly. We're where, for example, if Boise State is, is partnered partner with Ford, they may not want to see their star quarterback go out and shoot a commercial with Chevy. Right. Because, you know, there's going to create confusion there. It's going to dilute their own sponsorship. It's going to be seen as ambush marketing. Mm-hmm. And where Alston fits in here is because in that scheme, if the NCAA and Boise State prohibit this college athlete from going out and marketing their services with, with Chevy, Chevy might actually have an antitrust case there. Because they could be say they, they could they could claim that Boise State and Ford are colluding to, to shut them out of the market, and that I think would actually be you know I without without knowing any specifics in this hypothetical, it's hard to say whether it actually be a strong antitrust claim, but it would certainly be a valid one unless, of course, the NCAA has this exemption, has this ability to create NIL legislation on their own without any real impact from outside forces. All right, Sam, I want to I want to put a bow tie on this, and and this is where I'm going to ask you your personal opinion, mm-hmm. separate from you being an assistant professor of management at Boise State or mm-hmm. a, a Florida State guy or any other school. This is just you, as you read the situation, and how you would like to see things happen. You you wrote this amicus. You have an opinion on how you think the NCAA should handle this Alston case. You probably now also have an opinion on how you think name, image, and likeness uh, should go. So what are those things? I'm in favor of NIL. I'm in favor of uh, you know college athletes being able to, to make more money off their name, image, and likeness and be able to promote themselves using their name, image, and likeness. I do think that the NCAA should be given some control over that. I do think that there are certain reforms, certain guardrails that they want that are reasonable, that are very fair mm-hmm. uh, to preserve competitive balance to, you know, to whatever extent it, it, it still even exists. But what I want to see is I don't want to see that to happen through a court mandate. I don't want to see the Austin case result in a, a widespread threshold level uh, statement by the Supreme Court saying that the, the NCAA for all things related to amateurism is exempt from antitrust law, that amateurism is immediately exempt from antitrust law. Because I want it to happen through Congress. I want it to happen through negotiations with the members of Congress to trade what the NCAA wants in NAL reform, what the NCAA wants for an antitrust exemption for other reforms to make college sports better for athletes, to uh, give athletes more say, to give athletes uh, more 
uh, more rights, and and really just again just make it make it more equitable, make it more fair. But you know between the college athlete who right now is only getting a college scholarship and uh, you know certain other amenities as well, and the the colleges and universities in the NCAA who are making millions and millions and millions of dollars off of that labor. Okay, I don't see that. I don't currently see that as an equitable relationship. And I want to see reforms that better balance out balance the scales to that perspective. Okay, Sam. So now we know what you want to see as the best guess that you can present. What's going to happen? Is this going to go to the Supreme Court or the congressmen and, and senators who are so distracted with COVID and so many other challenges right now? And they always are and they always will be, or at least most often. So what's going to happen? What's more likely to occur here? Well, we already know it's going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has already taken the case. They're hearing oral arguments on this case, uh, actually, uh, in just about a week. On uh, I don't know when this is going to pop up, but on Wednesday, March 31st, uh, early in the morning here in, Bo- in Boise, uh, we're going to have oral arguments in the Austin case, and they're going to release their opinion a, a few months after. Mm. As for what's going to happen in that case, it's really hard to tell. This is the type of thing, and antitrust in particular is the type of thing where it doesn't really split on party lines. So trying to analyze this based on, well, there are you know six members of the court currently who are appointed by Republican presidents and three mm-hmm. members who are appointed by, by Democratic presidents. That's not really going to work here, especially since mm-hmm. a, a lot of these reforms have been bipartisan, have been you know both Republicans and Democrats who have proposed these bills. So it's difficult to really give a prediction. Uh, I would think that they're going to, that the Supreme Court's going to rule fairly narrowly. I don't think they're going to say that the NCAA is completely uh, off the hook in, in terms of antitrust immunity. Um, I also don't think they're, they're going to say, well, you know, we're, we're removing everything we've said before about amateurism being this positive thing that you should look at. And the NCAA is now completely um, vulnerable to antitrust attack. I think they're going to kind of rule somewhere in the middle where they're going to say amateurism should be given some deference, just not as much as some courts have, have done in the past. Should they do that, then NIL and the NCAA, uh, they're going to like that, right? That's going to be in there. If they can still set some rules that that do stand, they'll look at that as a win. I think so, though it, it really does depend on exactly what they're going to say on there. And I should mention, you know, the, the after effects of this are already going to be felt. There's already two lawsuits in the Northern District of California uh, by college athletes challenging NIL rights, uh, challenging NIL legislation that's been proposed by the NCAA. So this is coming. It's going to come right after the Supreme Court decision. And the Supreme Court decision is really going to impact that legislation or that, excuse me, that litigation. And then wow. as far as Congress goes, like you said, Congress is super distracted right now. They don't have time mm-hmm. necessarily to be discussing mm-hmm. college sports, mm-hmm. but it is the type of thing that has been gaining, gaining momentum, especially over the past couple of years, um, where you have a lot of legislatures that have taken a, a really keen interest on this. In fact, there's six federal bills that have been proposed over the past uh, year or so uh, in that in very different fashion have uh, proposed to, you know, kind of preempt the state legislation, give more federal oversight over this and give more federal control over this. So I think the NCAA is going to continue to lobby Congress. I think that the, you know, the advocates for the athletes are going to continue to lobby Congress. And there is going to be a federal law in place fairly soon i do think it's going to take some time um and we'll have to see what happens in the meantime well the ncaa wants to make a ruling by this football season so that tells me september one of this year they want something that they are going to say is going to uh, hold water but we all know that 
that can change, right? If somebody for sure. rules something else, doesn't matter what they think, I guess. Yeah, and if anything, for the NCAA, we will almost certainly, in fact, I, I don't see any position, any possibility that we won't have a decision in the Austin case before September 1. So uh, probably closer to you know, mid-June, uh, we'll probably have a decision, though that's, you know, it, it's very hard to predict with a Supreme Court. Yeah, well, we may be coming back to you for that, Sam. Thank you so much for well, your thanks. time. Uh, appreciate it and enjoyed it, and, and thanks for coming aboard. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jeff eBay is the place to go to get the pair of sneakers you want. eBay's authenticity guarantee. Make sure your sneakers are inspected by independent pros, authenticators. They're verifying boxes, logos, stitching, dozens of other inspection points. And every sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that has a digital stamp of authenticity and also protects sellers with a verified return process. And sneaker sellers, hey, don't forget, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over 100 bucks, making it free to sell or flip your connection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today ebay world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection i also want to tell you something unique you maybe didn't know this about me it's nothing too unique though for all of us i don't sleep well and i could fall asleep but i don't always stay that way and then i wake up at three in the morning my mind's running all over the place what i have to do that day what i'm worried about doing uh, what i didn't do yada 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 and if you could relate to that it sucks we know that so that's why i found sunday scaries i realized they make products specifically for overthinkers like myself and uh, the wrong kind of night owls so sunday scaries cbd gummies will help me decompress clear my head and then fall back asleep so i can actually wake up as a fully functional human and there's no risk right now for you to buy the company's offering 100 lifetime money back guarantee if the product's not for you it's okay you get your money back sunday scaries is in the stress re- stress relieving business not causing business and i got you 25 percent off to prove it so visit sundayscaries.com use my promo code caves c-a-v-e-s for your discount that's promo code caves for 25 percent off at sundayscaries.com they're Effing amazing, and you won't regret joining their squad. Let me get to the last remaining point. It's not necessarily about Boise State uh, football per se, but you know, one of the divisions in debates and conversations about intercollegiate athletics has to do with the disparities between uh, women's and men's athletics. We've got gender equity laws on the books that are changing that. There are rules and regulations for schools to follow to stay in compliance or get docked scholarships or maybe even you know, get in probationary status with the NCAA if they get too far out of line. It's something they have to monitor on a daily basis, really. Uh, most schools uh, are paying attention to it quite closely. And I don't know that everybody's aware, but there's some sports that compare really quite well, softball, baseball, and basketball, for example. And so if a man's uh, a men's the men's program gets X amount of square feet of office. Uh, the head coach gets X amount of money, uh, and, and the women's uh, offices have to be similar square feet. Uh, the uh, women's coach has to have similar money. It, it, it's all a, a debate and an argument that is taken out of their hands and is, is played out. And now we we had a situation where there were some social media um, tweets, conversations, you name it where a women's basketball player in the women's basketball tournament uh, took exception uh, to the lack of weights or the weight room, to the poor food that uh, they were given. And other times there were some compliments of it as well. And then there was descriptions by a player or two or three or hundreds or however you want to look at this of the Chotskys that are given uh, to the women who have qualified for the women's basketball tournament. 
All of these things, the food, the tchotchkes, the weights, were not only from their perspective. Again, the food I think they were okay with in the way it was represented. Uh, I don't think they were okay with the weights, and I don't think they were okay uh, with the tchotchkes, but they were compared immediately to what the men got. So it wasn't, to me, as clear like this does or doesn't meet our needs. It's, it's just the first reaction, the first piece of business is men get more, that sucks. And, and for some, that, that triggers you into a different conversation. Uh, for others, you know, they don't even hear that. So when I hear these gender-based arguments, I slow down and look less at results and more at process because I want attribution. Uh, I want to know exactly before I get involved in blame, shame, cancel culture. You can call it whatever the hell you want. Before I go there, I want to look at the process. How did this happen? And I don't mean incredulously with big question marks and hashtags, NCAA sucks, or whatever the hell else. No, 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 no. Who approved it and why? Is there a reason? Well, if cooler heads would have prevailed, somebody would have found out that there were NCAA women's basketball executives who turned down the opportunity to use the slogan March Madness. And so their tchotchkes given to women's basketball contestants didn't include March Madness. And there's also the point being made that the men's souvenir packages were much more robust, many more items in there than the women's. I can tell you that from my experience, the reason for that is they're probably selling a lot more of those men's items and they're not going to sell many, if all, of any of those women's items. They're not that attractive looking, the items. There's no logo. And certainly it's not into the you know, language of America, March Madness. The women's basketball tournament doesn't have a slogan. They were perhaps still considering it contemplating it, thinking about how they wanted to rebrand their tournament to be different than the men's uh, basketball tournament. I don't know. You'd have to ask everybody involved in that decision. But that information came out and somewhat got buried. As it relates to the weight room, um, Holly Rowe of ESPN did a piece where there was the shot of how they corrected the challenge of the weight room. And then there was the shot of, okay, the empty space that they could have put the weight room in. Well, that's not the intention of that space. It was for players to distance and have pre-practice meetings. Uh, the, the small weight room area that was there adjacent to the practice courts was sort of meant as, as a transition warm-up area, not necessarily a weight room. It doesn't excuse the fact that they didn't have one there for them, nor does it explain that there could be uh, all kinds of gender bias from the president on down to the uh, janitor. All of them, none of them, one of them, two of them, I have no idea. But I just wish before we go to finger pointing, name calling, blaming, shaming, publicly trying to embarrass that we try some of these other methods. Now, this has nothing to do to me with the say the players who pointed this out through their social media accounts. It has more to do with those who are in this business and have maybe been through this a little bit more to understand there are some answers here that need to be gotten to the bottom of so that you can properly explain it. And where there's bias and racial bias or um, sexual bias or I don't know what other biases may be existing in this process, then you can come out after you've analyzed everything 
and give those reasons because had you stopped and slowed down and figured it out, you'd see that the women's don't use March Madness because they didn't want to. The food situation, I've still not heard the answer why perhaps women were getting Salisbury steak and the men had buffets of food. I'm not even going to venture into the answers that are plausible, that are above and beyond because they don't think the women eat as much and they don't need the same kind of food. I'm not going there. I'm not. I'm just repeating the problem, in my opinion, if I see this injustice and then I repeat it before knowing all the facts and try to pile on the injustice, I'm not much better than the people that you're purporting to have committed the crime. So, so much of this to me is common sense, and yet I totally understand uh, those connected to the uh, women's athletics movement where they're looking at this as just yet another example in their lifetime and their experience of sexism and bias and and all those things so it's a very complicated issue that i hope the full story comes out so that there's a real understanding of how everything happened all right i do appreciate you listening to the kingdom of pod here on the believe podcast network for boise state football fans uh, don't forget to rate, review, pass it along. You can go to my kingdomofpod.mailchimpssite.com site to get this emailed to you. Um, let, other, let others know what's out there. I've had some reach out to me, what I'm doing, where I am, uh, blah, 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 blah. So get a look at it yourself and uh, pass along the Kingdom of Pod. I appreciate you coming aboard. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.